Welcome to Startup Stories, where we go behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and innovative tech startups in the world. Each episode will bring you in-depth interviews with entrepreneurs and business leaders, sharing their personal stories on success, failure, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur yourself or someone that's just generally interested in the world of startups, then Startup Stories is the perfect place for you to gain insight and inspiration into some of the most exciting players in the game. So sit back, relax, and join us on a journey of Startup Stories. Hi, Heiner. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Good to have you on the Startup Stories podcast. Really looking forward to uncovering a lot about you and your journey with the startup that you're in today. For the listeners, if you don't mind, could you introduce who you are, Heiner? Sure, happy to. So as you already said, my name is Heiner. I'm one of the co-founders of Throne and yeah, taking care of the, of the business side here um, together with the team. So what I really want to uncover in this startup story is the objective is to, you know, find out why you think the way you do, where you've gone with this path of throne and stuff like that. So I like to go back to the early days, you know, like your childhood, for example. Take me back to your childhood. What was life like for Heiner? Life like for Heiner? That's a good question. <laughs> so I grew up close to Hamburg in a small village called Stade. And my dad is a doctor. My mom is a midwife. So I have nothing to do with business from like my family background. I think the first time I got, yeah, like this first touch point with doing business was in my 11th grade. So that's like one year before graduation into the German school system where I started selling coffee, basically like coffee uh, at the school and then also like snacks and stuff like that. Like this typical kind of like thing you do at school, right? And then you're just like intrigued by the idea of uh, running a little business. It's kind of the lemonade stand story, but I didn't sell lemonade. So yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's a little bit uh, how I, I got introduced and like also got excited about the business world and also like that would help me to kind of think about what I want to study and what I want to like do later in life interesting so that sort of kicked in around that age you were selling coffee and stuff like that at school which is cool i like that it's sort of a cliche we all start selling stuff at school and you realize what can be done i really like that story so as a kid then what were you like yourself growing up that's a good question i mean basically I always wanted to be kind of like independent. I remember when I was 13, I wanted to buy a, a MacBook. And I remember that was the time when MacBooks were still white. You know, you remember them? <laughs> like they were like plastic and white. And and I thought that's so cool. Like that looked so cool. I went to like uh, an Apple store and I, I was just in love with this MacBook. So I asked my mom, hey, can I have a MacBook? And my mom was like, yeah, sure. But they're expensive and you have to pay for it. I was like, no, that's not what I wanted to hear from you. <laughs> but, well, I was uh, partially, not angry, but like motivated to prove her that I can do it. Let's put it this way. So I was basically running from every little shop that I could find and uh, to another one and just asking them, hey, can I, can I work here? And they were like, yeah, that's really cool, but you're 13. So like the legal age in Germany, even for like very small jobs is, is 14. So the, the only thing I could do was um, like basically brings like newspapers to, to the houses, right? Or distribute newspapers, which was nice, but I didn't really like it. It was, it was not really, I don't know, I didn't feel that I learned something. It was kind of a, 
somehow stupid task and like and it's cold and rainy and I don't know I didn't like it that much so I continued like looking for new jobs because I wanted to have this this MacBook so I worked um, at the age I think of 14 I worked at a garage so I was like cleaning cars and um, doing like what a 14 year old can do in a garage and that was that was actually really cool and I did that for yeah until I turned 17 quite a long time um, and that's how I made my my first money. And I think that was also something that was quite important for me growing up, already like working and having this kind of like two or three days per week where after school, I just went to work and I, I generally enjoyed it. Like I like to work with like the big guys. I like cars. Every boy in Germany, I think when they grow up, they like cars. They from time to time, they had Porsche so I could clean a Porsche, which was really cool. <laughs> and yeah, that's really what I liked. And then when I turned 18, actually, because then I was able to sell alcohol. I started working in a bar and actually like worked as a, as a bartender slash waiter for another two years before I went to uni. So I think my childhood was pretty much a lot of like different small jobs, but I really, really enjoyed it. And it was always something that motivated me. Yeah. And it, it, it always kind of motivated me to make my own money, you know, like to go out there, buy the MacBook and not being dependent on someone giving me that money. And maybe a funny, funny anecdote. I remember after I think six months or like 12 months, I don't remember. I finally had enough money to buy this MacBook. And then I bought it and I came home from work and I was super excited because my mom texted me, hey, your Apple arrived. And I was like, super excited like my my whole family was there i had this like this package from apple and we all know how great apple is at packaging and i was a little bit surprised because it was open already but i didn't realize it in the moment and i opened it and there was no macbook inside the whole package was full of like real apples and that's how my my mom oh. kind of like she took out the MacBook and put in a lot of like real apples in there to troll me. Yeah. Now I can laugh about it. Like this night wasn't uh, such a great experience, though. Your mom sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I mean, it, that's pretty funny. I mean, I thought you was about to say that you were sold like a, a fake parcel or something from you. I don't know. You bought it, bought it third party from somewhere else or something. I thought you was going to say that. But that's pretty no, funny. No. I like that. <laughs> it sounds like as well, your mum taught you a very good lesson from a, a young age. As you said, you want this MacBook or this, yeah, this computer. And, um, you know, you initially wanted your mum to buy it for you. And uh, you realised the hard way that, you know, if you want something, you've got to go get it yourself. So I think at that early age taught you a really good lesson. And it seems like that's stuck with you today. As you said, you want to make your own money and do it the right way. Achievement through something like that. 100% agree. And it also, I think, at a very early age, it taught me that work is actually like can be fun, right? It's not like you do it just to get something. But like I, gen like, I could have stopped after I had the money to buy the MacBook, but I generally enjoyed work. And I generally enjoyed the people I was working with, different tasks I was given. And also sometimes to work on, let's say, 
not the sexy stuff, you know, like like cleaning cars can be nice, can be annoying. Actually, like after my Abitur, which kind of like our high school diploma, I worked like as a summer intern. It sounds funny when I say it in English, but because like when people think of summer internships, they think of these like, I don't know, fancy banks or something like that or, or big companies. And I was actually working as a summer intern for a recycling company and um, basically helping to label trash cans or something like that, which was nice. It was it was nice to see that. And it's also nice to see where you maybe don't want to end up. It's not say, I'm not saying it's like a bad job. I'm just saying like for me, I realized, okay, I actually have to go to uni. I have to study so I can do something that is different to what I did as a young kid to kind of like make some money. Yeah, I like that. How old are you, Heiner? I'm 28 now. Yeah, because I'm 29, so very similar in age. What you're saying really resonates with me because I feel like growing up, I feel like you have to do many different jobs to realize what you don't and don't and, and do want, right? And you have to go through those ones where you're bottom of the food chain uh, to a degree and stuff like that because then you don't know what it takes to get where you are today. You don't want to fast track yourself in a, into a position where you haven't had to go through trials and tribulations to get there because that's what makes you as an individual and put you in the position that you are today would you agree with that 100% agree I wouldn't say to get you where you are today I don't think I'm very high to like on the food chain today which is fine I'm very happy where I am but uh, there's still some room left I would say but anyway 100% agree and I think some of the lessons you learn as a kid they're like super important especially like that like every kind of person has their strengths and weaknesses and like they're like you have to find the strength and then you have to give them kind of like a job where they can prosper with their strength and i saw that in very different scenarios which i every day i try to keep that in mind also when it comes to finding good work and good tasks for employees that actually like make them happy but also like where they can be the best they can be you know so i think that is really a very very powerful learning and then during uni and also that that's a really something I recommend to everyone in the first semester, go out there and try as much as you can because try different things, right? Yeah. Like I would never recommend do like the, the spring internship at JP Morgan, do the summer internship at JP Morgan and then start after your bachelor's as a first-time analyst at JP Morgan. I'm not saying that is a bad way to go. I'm just saying like look left and right, maybe try a startup. Maybe when I give these example, please keep in mind that I studied business, right? Like might be very different for someone in engineering or computer science or whatever. But in the business world, some people follow a very straight path. And then after three years, five years, 10 years on the job, they're like, holy cow, like, I don't even know what else I could have like seen. And they, they, they question all of the things they are doing. Whereas as a student, you have this amazing freedom to do these like two months, three months, six months internships. And my personal opinion, I don't really care if someone like finishes their studies in three years or four years. I think it's way more valuable if they did like many internships in different scenarios where they learn from, I don't know, maybe a consulting firm, maybe a bank, maybe a startup, maybe a corporate, maybe a nonprofit. Like these are very valuable lessons that will like help you grow as a person. And it's clearly something like where you have the time for during your studies. And that's like, yeah, highly recommended versus just going this like straight path that can make you faster, but like will make you slower in the long term, I think. 
Yep, I have to say I 100% agree with that. I have friends that straight out of school, they got educated at university and they went to like, in, in the UK, like Barclays Bank and this, they've climbed the ladder and stuff like that and they've been there for like a decade. But that's all they know. So you could argue it's quite, it can be quite one-dimensional and you've not really had other experiences to, you know, know what it's like to work in another business and accumulate different tools and skill sets because if you are at one business yes it can evolve but you kind of only have one understanding of how a business should be run or done or things like that so yeah very interesting point i think like one point to add you know in the end i think the ultimate goal is like how many times like did you smile per day in your life, right? Like you should be happy. And I think for some people, it's exactly the right path to do that. For others, it's not. The only thing is it gives you more perspectives. If you see all of this and then you say, hey, like Barclays was exactly what I love and it's great, right? Then who am I to judge? Who am I to say like, don't go to Barclays or like climb up the career ladder at Barclays? This can be a fantastic job. It's just, I think it's important that people feel comfortable in exploring different things and then finding what suits them best. And I think it's easier at an earlier age, like younger age than later in your career. So tell me about then your path that led you to become a co-founder at a startup called Throne. So basically I took the very conservative or like risk averse route, I would say. And I really, really, really deeply respect everyone who like has the courage to found a company right out of uni. I think that is something I deeply admire. My path was a little bit different. So during my studies, I did a lot of internships, mainly in the in the finance, consulting, private equity world. I did one internship at a startup, which was uh, Tinder, which was really, really cool because I think it taught me one thing. You can have exceptional colleagues. You can have a really cool work culture um, with all the perks that we hear of from, I don't know, the Googles of the world, the McKinsey's of the world, you know, like this nice, I don't know, free lunches or something like that, or nice home office extras. Like all of this is cool. But in the end, like one thing that I realized, at least for me, it matters as well that you genuinely enjoy the product, right? Like Mm -hmm. you should have cool colleagues. You should have a great culture. But if you don't like the product you're working with every day, it's hard to compensate for that. And I think that is something that was really something I learned during my time at Tinder. Although it was a short period, it was just really fun to work with a product like so many people in my age can relate to. Some people hate it, some people love it, but like everyone has an opinion on that. And that was something I don't know, I, I really enjoyed. So that was yeah one of the, the internships that actually like had an impact on me and the others as well. But I think that was something I now like still, still remember and recall. Then I started my career at consulting for McKinsey great colleagues great work culture great brand i don't like flying (laughs) it's a big problem when you're in consulting it's just i don't know when i'm up in the air it's fine but i just don't like like landing and starting (laughs) It's, it's not really my thing but jokes aside i think it's a perfect way to learn how to structure your thinking how to communicate with very different stakeholders from like the i don't know physics phd who is your project manager to someone who is like one year like just waiting for their 
retirement in a big corporate and you have to like get along with both because in the end you will only be successful if you get along with both and they're very different people with very different needs so that was that was a really good lesson then i moved on to work in a growth equity fund called general atlantic did that for the last two and a half years three years roughly also like fantastic learning opportunity it's the great chance to work with like exceptional founders who are like not at the stage of like zero to one but rather from one to a hundred or maybe even like from 20 to a hundred because it's rather later stage where, where we invested but it's a good learning to see which business models are not just like fundable or like investable or sexy for investors and what you i think focus on in the very early days in a startup but rather hey at scale are there examples of companies, right, that economically make sense, that actually produce more revenues than costs? And I think that is something you really learn very, very well in this later stage investment phase. Yeah. And then 2021, during the summer, I was like, okay, I it's this kind of like regret minimization thing you might have um, heard of. It was like, okay, if I if I don't try something, my, I always admired like the people I worked with. I always admired like the ex-McKinsey colleagues who founded something or like the entrepreneurs I was working with at GA. And I was like, hey, I would like, I think it would be a bigger regret never trying than like failing. So what I did, I started to brainstorm about ideas, started to ideate with different friend groups. And then in the very end, I joined Patrice and Lenny, one of my two co-founders at Throne as kind of a late joiner. And I have to kind of like disclaim, like a big disclaimer here, like they had the idea and I admire the idea. And I also admire that they did like this first crazy month, you know, where there's like a lot of like finding out if there's actually like a, a market need for it. And once they had initial traction, I joined them to scale, to professionalize. I mean, we were still like three guys living in a flat in London, going to WeWork every day, but still like this Finding actually like a paying customer, I have to admit, I took a shortcut here. Yeah, thanks for the introduction to the to Throne and the idea. I know that you said that you were a late joiner, but uh, it just makes me smile because it resonates with me with, uh, you know, starting my own company. So everything you're saying makes me sort of visualize to what you were saying, getting that first paying customer. It's like the best feeling in the world. The first time you deliver successfully for a client or a customer, for example. Now, I really like that. So tell me about Throne then. What does Throne do? Well, Throne, there's like the big vision Throne and there's like the one problem we focus on first we're solving right now Throne, right? So the big vision Throne is basically, hey, creator economy is huge, especially the long tail, but like it's huge it's growing we don't know what's gonna be the next like platform will it be tiktok youtube twitch we don't know that but like people trying to make a living producing content for others i think this is a trend it's a clear trend and it's growing and and we are big believers in that the other thing is that where we're like big believers in is e-commerce right brand building marketing via the internet via creators mainly for e-commerce companies and all like companies basically today are e-commerce companies. Not all of them are e-commerce first, but there's no single like big brand that does not have a web shop. Everyone has a web shop today and everyone is also like advertising on the internet. The only question is, how is marketing going to look like in 
two years from now, five years from now, right? And we think we're convinced basically that creators will play a huge role in this. And I will like elaborate a little bit why later. But then having these two main things in mind, now let's let's focus on like what is Throne solving in the first place and what's like the, the first kind of problem we tackle is there's a huge long tail of creators, let's say the ones with like 5,000 to 50,000 followers, right? Like growing like a followership of like 10K followers, that's a lot of work. That's a time investment. That's most of the time also a monetary investment. But you're too small for the big brands like in a Nike to reach out to you and say, hey, do you have want to have like a brand partnership with us, right? And then let's think like how can these people who most of the time do it like on the weekends, they have a full-time job. How can those people actually make some money out of this or at least cover their costs. There's three ways how they monetize traditionally. One is advertising. As I already said, like for brand partnerships, you really need to be somehow relevant. And that means you need to have a bigger followership for most of the time. You can put like ads on your like YouTube videos, but like still, this is not really moving the needle. Second option is something like Patreon. So you put like a, a paywall in front of your content. I think that really works well for big creators to like create a super exclusive membership club for like even more exclusive content. However, I don't really think if you want to grow your audience as people are so used to having like free content on the internet, they're not really willing to pay for something, especially if you're small and you want to like still grow with the same pace you did grow your first, let's say, 10K followers. So also not really a good solution for the small ones. And then the last thing is tipping. It's quite big on Twitch. There's also like Kofi or Buy Me A Coffee where people can donate money. Um, I think donations, they are nice given that everyone has a different price point and content can be worth to some people like more or less. Right. So that's a nice aspect of it. However, it's not very personal if you send someone just some money. Like if I like someone who's doing yoga videos and I love these yoga tutorials and I do them every day and I send the person money, I want the person to produce more yoga content and I don't want to sponsor their next holidays or something like that. So that's why we thought, how can you use this donation aspect with different price points, etc., by actually inventing a fourth option of supporting your creator, especially smaller creators. And that's where like this idea of gifting came up. Gifting, it's not that we had like this idea and there was no one out there like doing this before. Some creators already had like an Amazon wish list. And that's also a little bit how we had this idea. Hey, how can we like use something that actually makes a lot of sense to us? However, there's many, many problems with the like Amazon wish list. And our idea was, okay, let's find out like what's the problem with the Amazon wish list. And the Amazon wish list, like most of the time when you Google like Amazon wishes problems, you will find creators who are scared of like their private details being leaked. Yeah. I don't know if that is actually happening or not. I think Amazon, they do have some rules in place that this doesn't happen. However, just by the logic of it and also just by the fear of what like creators have when we talk to them, the fear is always like the customer experience we all have on Amazon is amazing because they put the paying customer first, which means if you pay for something, you can write these reviews, right? And if you have a wish list and you use an item or you put an item from like one of the merchants of the Amazon marketplace on your wish list and someone is buying it for you, 
then there's a little bit of a disconnect between what Amazon wants to achieve and what you want to achieve. You want to receive the gift and you want to like keep your, your details private. However, if I'm the one who's gifting and I want to find out your address, I can call the merchant and I say, hey, where are you sending this to? And even if they're not supposed to tell you, you can kind of like social engineer or like threat them and say, hey, like if you don't tell me the address, no problem, I will give you a bad review. And these merchants, they really care about their reviews. They don't want to be on like page two or page three of like Amazon search. They want to be on page one. So the risk, I'm not sure, I'm not saying like this is actually happening, but like the fear is out there that creators like fear, okay, the big power is in the hands of the like actual gifter and not in our hands. And that's how we came up with this privacy first wish list where we detach the buyer completely from the receiver and we are kind of like the middleman very interesting i've not really looked at that sort of aspect of business where you know you are gifting to a creator and stuff like that so when you when you're talking about these creators are you just referring to youtube and twitch or is it like instagram and stuff like that as well all sort of social media platforms so basically, most of these creators, they are cross-platform. So if you're right. big on YouTube, you have like an Instagram as well. Most of them have one main platform. And yeah, like our biggest platform is definitely Twitch and YouTube right now. And I think if you think about like how these platforms are being used, I think there's a lot of like educational content on YouTube. If I don't know how to bake a cake, I will go on YouTube and watch a tutorial, right? If I want to have like inspiration on, I don't know, some yoga stuff, like I go on, on YouTube. If I don't know which running shoes to take i will watch a youtube video where they review this running shoe so i think that is like why people get a lot of value from youtube and that's why they like to support the people who are creating the content on twitch it's more of an entertainment aspect like it's, it's yeah. basically like watching tv but like you you really enjoy yeah you enjoy watching someone playing a video game but the fun part is like what they say is the fun part yeah, yeah, is yeah. like the their reaction the personality the reactions right so i think that is why people like to support people on on twitch whereas on instagram it used to be very static. Now they have stories and reels and everything. But it used to be you post a picture. Mm -hmm. And the picture is most of the time is very aesthetic. You have a lot of makeup, perfect dress, a lot of filters, perfect location. And like, why do people follow people on Instagram? In my view, it's more because they admire them. They envy that like maybe a little bit what lifestyle they have. They want to have the same and they want to see what they are doing, which is also very good like relationship you can have with with your idol it's just a little bit different to what you get like from youtube or from twitch so i think for the wishlist product right now youtube and twitch like they work work very well well and let's see and um, we we have like 200,000 creators on the platform live so we definitely have creators from from all content platforms you can imagine including like as you like instagram and so on and so forth but like looking at like high percentages i think it's those two two platforms yeah, sounds like a great product. And there's definitely, clearly, as you said, uh, a need for that in the market. One thing to add here, in the end, like you have to solve one problem. I think Throne, like the wish, it's a fantastic product. Like it looks nice. We have amazing like UX. We have 
really a lot of like features that make it more interactive that really engages your community we have stream alerts like if you receive a gift it pops up on your stream you can directly interact with the fans say thank you you know we have tweets where you like auto tweets where, where, where people can thank the fan as well we have a if you buy something for someone you can send a message so it's it's not just like sending a dm and someone has like i don't know how many thousand dms per day and they won't get back to you but you're actually sending something that they can use on the stream let's go back to the yoga example you're sending someone a yoga mat and you send a message like the chances that the person will reply and say oh so like thank you so much Hannah. that's really cool like there's a lot of like features i think that make throne really cool but in the end like the thing the one single thing people most care about i think is the privacy aspect and everything else is on top and is really cool and people like it but like we ensure your details like your private details stay private yeah, love that. I think that's what's going to separate you from the rest. It sounds like you've really focused on the user experience and the finer details. I think that's where it really matters. So uh, very interesting. I'd love to know your journey so far at uh, Thrones. It's been what, just a, around a year? Is that right? Yeah. What's been the best thing about your journey so far at Thrones? To be honest, I think the most difficult part of like running a company, the best part of running a company and the part where you learn the most is like actually having having employees because they are people and they're very different people and they have very different needs. All right. And then very different personal situations. Right. And it's challenging from time to time, but it's also so rewarding. And I remember at our Christmas party when my team came over and the moment like after one year where the team comes to you and it's not your co-founders. Right. It's like actually like the team, the people you work with every day and they say, hey, Thank you for like all the effort you put into it. Thank you for like, I don't know, like listening to us when we have questions, when we have thoughts, et cetera, et cetera. They gave me like a little, uh, Christmas present. And that that's really like a, a moment where you have like this little ninjas cutting onions just below your eyes, you know, and uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? So no, that was really, really cool. And I think one of the moments where I was like very, very, very happy. Love that. I was actually going to ask a follow-up question to that what's been your toughest part of the journey so far but i imagine it's what you just said it's the people as you say the toughest part but also the most rewarding mm, yeah but i wouldn't say i wouldn't say it's like the the toughest part is the people because in the end you can always find a solution there i think i think there's some things that are not in your hands that can be um bureaucracy it's really annoying. That can be sometimes bad luck. Like we had a credit card fraud attack. And I mean, yes, we had all the measures in place you can have. But at some point, if you transact such high volumes, these things can happen, right? And then you just have to find a solution. But these are things that really like I have a couple of gray hairs over here from this attack for sure. And I think, yeah, you, you have like some ups and downs. And if you think about like founding a company, there's phase one where you basically, you don't care about anything else than finding a solution to a problem where a customer actually pays for. The moment you have found this, and I think that's the toughest part, the moment you have found this, and for some reason, a lot of people like it, you have kind of like a bucket, a very leaky bucket, and there's a lot of like water coming into this bucket and you have so many holes and one hole is bigger than the other hole and you're just trying to fix it and you cannot like fix all the holes at the same time. You really have to prioritize and fix the biggest hole first and then the second biggest hole and so on and so forth. 
and I think like something like a credit card fraud attack or something is is one of these holes where you have fixed it and then for some reason it it, it breaks again and and you just have to like put all the efforts in there um to fix it again. And I think this this kind of like having a bucket full of like holes with a lot of water coming in because we had a lot of demand from creators and that was kind of like symbolizing uh my last year where we just were firefighting but luckily we never had a problem with like customer demand you know it's a very lucky situation to be in like all your problems you have to fix are structural problems with i don't know setting up like the correct entity um setting up accounting for the first time hiring an employee for the first time having an intern for the first time offboarding an intern like making sure all the accounts are closed again and like all this you, you can like set up the best process on paper in the end you have to do it like one or two times and you have like all these hiccups along the way until there's some sort of routine i would say and now i'm very very happy we have we have an office we have a, like the, the legal setup is everything is ready we have accounting we have a budget we track against we have a fantastic team and now it's more like getting from it's not from 0 to 1 anymore now it's from 1 to 100 so i would say that the bucket is fixed now we do have to focus on making the bucket stronger making it cooler giving like the bucket more nice features so that the the water that is flowing in is not becoming less because in the end like you want to grow and that's our main purpose to grow the company but it's a new challenge and it's a nice challenge i would say and hopefully a challenge with a little bit less gray hair and near near death experiences a little less holes in the bucket <laughs> yes <laughs> i think that's the beauty of a startup though right there is no blueprint a lot of things are for the first time everything is yeah. like as a first time founder everything yeah i can totally resonate with you on that like when we've had to hire our first person we've had to scale where we focus like our niche for example like we focus in berlin initially we were the whole of germany but we had more successes being tied down to one city instead of the whole place so just going from doing the whole of germany to then berlin it's a new way of working and how do we hone in to make sure we do it correctly because you only get one chance to make a first impression right so yeah i i totally resonate with that it's very very interesting I would like to know what are the goals now and the ambitions for Front. How far do you want to take it? I think that's a, that's also a very good question because I already talked about kind of like the the, the big vision thrown, like what we believe in, and then like the the first problem we're solving. In the end, what we're doing, right? Like with this gifting platform, we have a lot of creators, we have a lot of like e-commerce brands. We create this kind of like invite-only e-commerce shop where creators go. they discover products they get inspired they put it on the wish list because i would say the hurdle to put something on your wish list is way lower to adding something to your cart um because in your cart you have to pay for it yourself in this case it's really hey that would be a nice light for my stream or this would be a nice microphone i would love to like try out so i think that is really cool it's a nice kind of shopping experience for for the creator and it's also really really good for the brands and i think i want to like spend like 5 minutes on why i think it makes a lot of sense for brands and why we managed to get like hundreds of brands on the platform in one year without like like in the first year right where we had to improvise on some i don't know contracts and and it it really it really was uh, was tough on the administrative side however like the sell was actually 
not always easy, but like many people see a big value in, in Throne from the brand side. And let me quickly explain why. So like they put it on the list. They put like a yoga mat on their list. They tell their fans, hey, if you want to support me, there's like stuff I really would love to have. These fans, they go on the list. Not all of them are going to buy something, but they're curious. They want to see like more insights about like the creator they follow, right? And by definition, because they consume yoga content, they're also into yoga. So if there's a yoga mat on it and it's generally like something that the creator wants to have, like you don't have to put any like paid advertising or paid sponsorship label on it. So it's super authentic. And the next time they buy a yoga mat, they already have this brand in mind. So I think that is like the free marketing aspect that is super powerful for brands. Second thing is consumer insights. People run surveys to find out who could like my product because normally you have like this target persona in mind. So let's take the yoga mat example again. Like let's say that this is like targeting, I don't know, female 15 to 45 year olds. And in our case, maybe there's like 60 year old male gamers who like to put it on their gaming chair because it's comfy and that's a market that you would completely forget about because like you would never put like money on google ads on this or you would never go for like an influencer in this space because traditional influencer marketing works like this you have your target persona you go to an agency you go to like you they give you a creator the creator like gets the item for free and then you pay you even pay for like them take posting pictures plus they have the label of like paid paid sponsorship or sponsored partnership like, like this. So I think that is a, a very nice thing. So you see which other niches might like my product. And when I talk about niche, when, when people think about creators, they think about beauty, fashion, cosmetics. But there's all types of creators. There's people who do gardening. There's people who do knitting. There's interior designers for Zims. There is, I don't know, let me think, like there's um, study influence, like study streamers. Study streamers are actually people who stream while they study and people like, like log into Twitch, for example, watch it and they build like virtual study groups. So they motivate each other not to be distracted. And then they, they kind of like meet up at a certain time. They say, okay, let's do like two hours of focus and then 15 minutes of chatting and this really helps them to like focus on their studies so there's like so many ways people use these content platforms to like produce content that like beauty fashion cosmetics is just yes it's a very prominent example but there's so much more to it just think of all the ones who do like the tutorials on how to bake a cake tech reviews, sports shoe reviews, whatever. So that is really interesting for these brands to discover which other niche like my product. And then the third thing is you get user-generated content. So people like to do unboxing streams, unboxing videos, pictures that you can use on your socials. And that is something that we want to leverage right now. Like having these brands and the creators, we have the creator trust and we have the brands who like to use us as a marketing channel on top of this being like a sales channel as well. So our model right now is solving the problem for a creator to make money via commerce, right? The first thing is we do the wish list so people can receive items and cover their costs, maybe make a little bit of a living out of this, but they won't become a millionaire by gifts. And the really big creators we have on the platform, like they put something on the wish list and within 60 seconds it's being bought. And at some point you also like you don't need physical items anymore. So for them, it's actually like more interesting to sell back to the community where they say, hey, these are items 
victims I put on my list anyway. And some of those fans, they are like, okay, I enjoy the content. I want to have the same, let's say, Adidas shirt that my my idol is wearing, but I don't want to gift something because I'm not such a big fan, maybe. But then they can buy it for themselves. And for us, from a technical standpoint, everything we do is kind of API calls. So we can facilitate that. And we see a big chance to grow with the creator along their journey. So like they start maybe by doing it as a hobby, receiving some gifts from their community, growing, growing, growing. At some point, they don't need any gifts anymore. They want to make money. So they start selling back to the community and all via our platform. And like we can leverage our existing partnerships for that. I must say it's a fantastic product. Something that's very new to me. And that's why I was so intrigued to talk to you about this. I know that we've been talking leading up to this and uh, really thank you for going to detail about Throne and their unique product. And I'm sure it's going to be a very successful year or number of years for Throne. What I'd love to know, Heiner, is what your personal motivators are. Why do you get out of bed in the morning to do what you do? Mm, I would say six out of seven days it's because someone is waiting outside because they want to go for a run with me just kidding but yeah i actually i do like to wake up quite early and and go for runs in the morning but jokes aside like i really really enjoy like building a team building a culture you know it's yes you have influence on culture at your employer but like building a company from scratch also allows you to building a culture from scratch. And after two years of COVID and like home office and losing a lot of like these personal connections, um, these fun events, etc. Like it's really something that motivates me to like have a place where people like to go to work, where they like build friendships, where they like enjoy what they are doing be it because of the culture, be it because of the product, be it because of this, all, all stakeholders involved. But like, it's really, really something that motivates me. And I generally believe in our model when I try to go through like all the stakeholders in my head. So it's good for the brands. It's good for the fans. It's good for the creators. It's cool for the employees. Like we really try to make something that makes a lot of sense to all stakeholders. And that is something I, I generally enjoy. And yeah, and I, I mean like, Man, if you're like in the creator space, there's no day where you don't see something that you have never seen before and you didn't even know like something like this existed. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Like the, the product itself, like the creators, like this creator world is crazy. There's literally everything and it's so much to discover. And then on the other hand, like this e-commerce entrepreneur world is really, really cool. I generally like these people because they are like people like you and me who at some point decided to quit their well-paid job and, and start like a cool brand. Yeah. So yeah, really enjoy both sides of the marketplace. Love the employees. It's the people in the end. That's It's really like the model that, that enables us to make a lot of people happy. And that is something that motivates me. I really like that, what you've said there. I mean, as you said, it's about the people. So it's a very selfless statement that you've made, which is really good to hear because ultimately without the people in your business or whether it's the customers that you have, then Throne doesn't exist, right? A hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, in the end, like we have to make the creator happy. We don't have these like like a B2B SaaS company where you have these contracts and you have to make the sell. And then like, I don't want to talk bad about B2B SaaS companies, don't get me wrong, but you have this kind of like lock-in where people then are locked in for like the next five years. And even if you don't like improve on any features, like after two years, like they still can't get out of it. For us, we have to 
gain their trust every day. Like the creators have to use us after everything has been bought from their wishlist. They have to put new stuff on it. The fans have to enjoy the experience. If they have a bad experience with, I don't know, checkout doesn't work or the, the product's not being shipped to the creator or whatever, like they're just not going to use it anymore. It's like, if you're on a marketplace, yes, you build over time, you build like definitely you build a mode because the best brands go where you have like most creators and most creators go where you have the best brands, which I like about the model. But on the other hand, if the virality we have right now, given that our customers saying like this creators, they have such a big reach. If we do something very bad, they also can use this reach to talk bad about us. And we like it can also go the other way around. I, that's what I'm trying to say. And that's also what we have to prove every day that we really put them first, like the brands and the creators and the fans to like make this model work. For those that are listening, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned? The biggest lesson? Or the most important? I think in the end, like as I already said, right? Like business is about people. Everyone has strength. Everyone has weaknesses. It's so important to understand like their personal situations they're in. It's very important to talk, to take the time to talk. It's so easy to find excuses not to take the time for that because there's like, you will always have a full inbox. There's always people who want something. It's really easy to say, ah, no, like we have this feedback walk, but let's postpone it and let's do it next week. And I think like the only meeting you should never postpone, I think, or, or push to a later point in time is like the feedback walks is the when someone wants to talk to you, like cancel almost everything. You cannot always cancel everything, but like cancel almost everything. Take the time. Don't make the employee like, feeling any pressure to hurry up like they should feel like that they have all the time in the world they need to express whatever they want to express and to address whatever they want to address with you so i think that is very very important and then it's the best thing in the world and i think the second lesson never be never be cheap on on a lawyer and on accountants um <laughs> because if you if you just think you can outsource everything like in the end like they are fantastic professional service firms who help you with everything. But in the end, it's you signing it. And uh, that was also a, a big lesson. Sometimes invest a little bit more and then you have less stuff you have to like more in terms of money and also more in terms of time. And then you have less to figure out afterwards, which in the end costs you more than you thought you're going to save. Well, we like to end our podcast on a bit of a bonus question, Heiner. No, I'm scared. So what this, <laughs> what this means is the last guest, I asked him to ask a question that I will ask the next guest. So that question was from Paul Lunlow at XU Group in Berlin. And his question was to you, not knowing who you are, what is the toughest situation you have faced in the last three months and how did you tackle it? I think one thing that is tough but it's also nice. Gifting has, as everything in e-commerce, but gifting as well, has some sort of seasonality, right? People gift on certain occasions like Halloween, birthday, Valentine's Day. They also do that like if there's no special occasion, but you see some, some, some spikes. And then there's Christmas coming. So for us, new from the year before, how crazy Christmas can be. And we knew that we have to be prepared and we have a fantastic team that was being trained for this. However, 
you never really know how crazy it's gonna it's gonna be and i think two months maybe two months before christmas we were working with a with an agency like fiverr that was supporting us and we realized it's good but it's like it's really hard to plan with them and it's we have like a, a really a certain risk of like just having the entire operations running through them so we decided okay we have like only a few weeks that we have to hire full-time employees that will actually like solve the problem or like help us to get through this time so that was a that was a tough decision that was very tricky because like yes of course when you have someone from fiverr they don't expect to it's a freelancer and they work for a certain period of time but like getting them motivated to train the full-time employees to transferring the knowledge then to also telling them at some point we're gonna like phase you out and having these like full-time employees being prepared for such a crazy time I think that was really tough. It was a very tough thing to do on a personal level because you don't want to hurt anyone, right? On the other hand, you have to speed up. You're always seeing like the orders coming in. I mean, on good days, we're doing like 4,000, 5,000 orders a day, right? Like it's, it's crazy. And if you have your backlog going up, it's really hard to fight the backlog. The backlog is probably increasing linear in a linear way, but like your customer support tickets, they're going to grow exponentially because people ask, Hey, where's my package? And then, Hey, what's with my last ticket? And Hey, what's with the ticket on my last ticket? So it's really like we were really, we had a, like a lot of respect um, for, for December and had this change in how we're going to tackle this month just before December. So I think that was a very, very tough moment where you had to deal um, with a lot of, of course, with a lot of emotions, with time pressure, with pressure from the customer, because we knew this transition phase, we will be a little bit like slower. So we have to appease them and tell them, hey, this is what's going on, like being very good in communication. So yeah, that was a that was a tricky one. December was even crazier than we expected, but kudos to this fantastic team and had no problems managing all of this. So yeah, I'm very, very happy. But I think there's a two like gray hair over here um, from this period <laughs> as well. Thank you, Heiner. Really enjoyed hearing your whole story about Throne. And uh, I look forward to following the rest of the journey throughout 2023. I know we'll keep in contact. So yeah, thank you again for being a guest. And um, yeah, it's been eventful. Thank you, Jordan. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup Stories. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning more about their journey in the startup world. I'll be back soon with another exciting episode featuring a new guest. So make sure to subscribe to Startup Stories so you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to follow me on social media for updates and additional content. And if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to me. And as always, I appreciate your support and feedback. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.